0: Thank you, Leslie. And Paul. And good morning. Good morning. I've been working at that. I've been practicing at home, right? <laughs> All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this afternoon. I can't do I can't do this. I can't do this. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning we go. I was on such a good pathway, too. It's 23 years of it, so there we go. We're getting, we're going to get it, though. Mark, Mark chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 20, verse 20 this morning. That's right, Mark chapter 11, verse 20. We'll continue on in the Passion Week, the last several days of Jesus' life. And here we go, verse 20, chapter 11, Mark. And in the morning... As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering, saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So let's may God add a special blessing to reading his word this, after, this morning, and may we Open in prayer before our study. Father God, thank you for you being in charge all the time. You've never been out of control. Before anything was, you were. I am who I am, as you've described yourself. Father, we want to lean on you today, even as Jesus' words trust in God. Father, may you be more clear to us in these moments than you've ever been. Father, we want to yield everything we are to you. Father, teach us. Take us where you want us to be. We would ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively would be that teacher. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to have it. Father, I pray for each one that's here today. You know their needs before they do. You know their situation, full, complete, to the extent that they couldn't even understand That's why, Father, we can bow before you in prayer, knowing that your will is better than ours. Now, Father, help us trust you more as we go to the Word. May the Spirit lead us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're uh, continuing on our journey. Um, Just to recap a bit um, of where we were last week and maybe even before that, um, as we've talked about, Jesus' final, shall we say, journey into Jerusalem. He's come through Perea. Maybe learn me one more time. Uh, put that map on. There. We've become used to uh, having it, uh, to look at it. It helps us with the, with the travel geographically where he's been, where Jesus is. Um, the, the land of uh, Perea right here, uh, he's been traveling on the east side of the Jordan River. Oh yeah, this is yeah this is good. <laughs> there we go. I, I'm I'm am official now. Uh, they've, been, <laughs> they've been coming through Berea, and and he's been actually the, the the Galilean ministry ended, and he did most of his his ministry there. And there was a point at which finally the people said, you know what? Uh, we want you, Jesus, for what you can give us. That's what it's really all about. And that was when Jesus literally said, I'm going to move on. This is not what it's about. Uh, I'm here for heart issues. We're here for hearts, uh, and he traveled through Perea. Now he's moved from teaching the crowds to teaching the disciples. It's literally a seminar for the disciples. We get one more here today. It's amazing. Another one on prayer. Imagine that. But as he's moving through this, uh, we found that his last miracle that we probably would recognize as being that is at Jericho, uh, that blind Bartimaeus. And we looked at the parallel gospel passages. There was actually two blind men there, and Jesus healed them both. This is the last one, if you will. Uh, I found it interesting in my studies. I, I just keep saying it because it's so remarkable how history, as we look in history, we find it's his story, and we find more out about God. There's something that we want to keep in mind. We're going to have several words on the board today, but one of them that really helps us in the sense of prayer and God's power is remembering. You know, we think about Jericho. Uh, and we'll be coming back to that. But in Jericho, quite honestly, here we have this blind Bartimaeus. He's traveling through there. Uh, one of the, the most notorious people within that city, probably the most hated. If you're going to put the most disliked man in the city of Jericho, I don't think there was even a, uh, even a sort of second place. It would have been that man called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a weasel. He really was. I don't know how else to say it. He was a little guy. And he was just, he was just sneaky. He was, he was a tax collector. And he gave, obviously, to the Roman government what necessary and everything else he took from his own citizenry. That's, that's crazy, isn't it? Uh, I don't really care for the IRS today either, but he was another level, quite honestly. And this is one that Jesus, as he's sitting in a tree, Zacchaeus said, it's not Jesus, and he's, it's, it would be leafed out during that time of year. So he was hiding. It was like he would ran ahead, he's peeking out, and Jesus walks up and he's, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, you need to come down. I'm going to go to your house today. I'm sure he fell out of the tree at that point. <laughs> And at the end of that day, he was a changed man. He was a brand new man. He, was, he said, I'm going to give, what was it, fourfold to those that I've taken, and I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. <laughs> I can't tell you how much different that is than the rich young ruler that had, he had a background, he had a resume. Remember that guy, that rich young ruler that came to him and said, what do I have to have to have eternal life? I want more of what I have. That was nothing about being with God. It was more of what I have. And Jesus sent that man away very sorrowful because he said, you know what? Uh, let's cut, cut through the chase. Because he lied to Jesus. He lied to himself. He said, well, I've kept all the commandments from the youth on. That's who I am. I'm, I'm like this really cool guy. And Jesus he lack one thing. Just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Because that cut right through the chase. Where was his love? Where was his trust? That'll tie in today as well. What was he really trusting, this rich young ruler? He gave it away. He didn't even argue. He knew Jesus was right. He just walked away in deep sorrow. Zacchaeus was a weasel and turns into this... I'm going to have to say a godly saint because of Jesus approaching him. He responded by cho- by a choice, saying, "You know what? All that I am is wrong. I need someone, something to change me on the inside." That's why Jesus came. Well, that's all taking place. Boy, you say you're not going to get through this. You're right. We get to keep moving on. I said, so "I'll review." So from Jericho, they go to Bethany. Arrive on a Saturday evening. Well, where is where are they at? They're at. The home of none other than Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus, just a couple weeks before, would have been raised from the dead by this Jesus of Nazareth. And he spends the evening there. In fact, he did each and every evening spend it with that family. Two miles out of Jerusalem. Uh, we'll find it right here on our little map. He went from Jericho to, where is Bethany? Right there. And Bethany to Jerusalem is just a couple of miles. And it would be kind of uphill. Everything was up to Jerusalem, makes sense. Uh, Jericho is a minus 800 feet elevation, plus or minus. And Jerusalem is plus 2,500 feet. So it's up. It's it's, it's definitely, the scripture's not lying. It's up in the air. And he would have made that track, that two-mile track, for that period of time. Now on Sunday, it would seem, I'm not going to go into this again, but the people heard about the rising of Lazarus. And Jesus of Nazareth, who was at Bethany, they'd heard about this guy that was, had arrived on Saturday. Guess what? On Sunday, the crowd go out to meet Jesus and to see Lazarus. The next event, which I believe was a Monday, literally, that Jesus is going to arrange for his own coronation. Now, that's odd, isn't it? If you're a king, someone else sets it up, and it's pomp and royalty. and I mean, you name it, and it's all good. Jesus tells his two disciples... I, I better put this away. before I can. <laughs> I'm i going to break it. I'm going to break it. Uh, Jesus says, okay, he sends two disciples. I don't know who they were. It doesn't matter. He says, uh, you need to go to Bethphage. Now, Bethphage is not on our map, but it was probably literally, it was described just across the street from the village or the, borg of, or the burg of Bethany. He said, just go across the street, across the way, as it says in the gospel. He says, I want you to find a donkey and her foal, and they'll be tied. And then you just untie them and bring them to me because we'll need, that's going to come in handy for what we're going to do today. Isn't that crazy? He lines up the total coronation parade, if you will, and he provides the animal. And we went back to Zechariah chapter 9 because it's fulfilling scripture. It is. It just, it's all coming together. And the disciples, I'm sure, what are we doing? And then it got really tense as we're going to be accused of donkey rustling because they, they're going to tie it. And he said, oh, by the way, when someone comes to you and says, uh, what are you doing? That you just tell them the master has need of this animal. So they're untying, sure enough, there they come. What are you, what are you doing? That's, that's mine. And they said, Well, the master has need of it. And just like, Oh, well, it's good. Go ahead. Huh. I mean, I'm sure they're shaking their head as they're walking back to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the whole place changes. All of a sudden, there's coats being laid out in front of, the tra- of, of this route and this parade, if you will. And they're, they're saying, what, what was the key word? We had it on the board Hosanna! which means save now. We want to be saved from the Romans immediately. I mean, could we not have done it yesterday? And they call him the son of David, which is the messianic title. It's really cool. They knew. They really knew who he was, but he came for their reasoning, and apparently they didn't care about his reasoning. He came to save, yeah, from their sins, changed from the inside out because they could never understand what it would be to be in a kingdom unless they're cleaned up on the inside. And at the end of that day, we're still reviewing. When are we going to get done reviewing? I don't know yet. We're still going. And it said he went. Now, this is a king. Slip into a sandal. Slip into the disciples' sandal. Yes, this is what we finally got. He's the king, and we're going to be, we're in like Flynn. And then it says that he stopped at the temple, and he looked inside. And he's surmising everything that's taken place. Now, keep in mind, he'd been here three years previous to the beginning of his ministry, and he cleaned his place up. <laughs> I mean, he made it right. And you know what he saw that night? The same thing. All the wrong things. So we, we talked about this last week. They were preying on people, P-R-E-Y. They were taking their money. They were trading. Remember, Paul, you were my example last week. You'd brought a sheep, uh, little, little, little Billy Baba, and he came in there and you brought it in. And the priest would have been standing up there. Oh, Mr. Kramer, I'm so sorry. That lamb is not good enough for you. But we've got one that will work. We'll do a trade in, and Mr. Kramer, uh, we'll take your lamb and we'll deal with it appropriately. In other words, sell it to the next guy. But in the meantime, here is this one, and now you and your family will be able to celebrate Passover, but it'll be the tidy sum of probably 10 times what it's worth. That's what was going in God's temple. And then they're, you know, they're, they're money changing as well because it would have to be in the old coinage so you would come from potentially Galilee and you would have a different coin. So, but we're here to help you because you also didn't bring your, the good money, right? So we got, By the time they got done fleecing him, there was a pun intended because we're talking about sheep. <laughs> it's terrible, right? It's just awful. And, and, and Jesus sees all of this happening and he goes back home to Bethany. Home being where Lazarus and Mary and Martha are. And the next morning, which I think he went out for an early prayer time because he had a plan. Everyone else in that little area, and I shouldn't say little, there's tens of thousands of people, probably as many as two million people that are within the confines of Jerusalem metro, shall we say. And they all are excited. Jesus is going to take out the Romans. And the first thing Jesus does the next day I think, has went to prayer. Why do I say that? I'm absolutely certain, knowing Mary and Martha from a previous encounter, she would have had a breakfast that was unbelievable. I don't think Jesus was there. He was praying, convinced. Because as the disciples of him are going back to Jerusalem to get on with the day, it says that he was hungry. We found this last week. He was hungry. And he sees a fig tree, and it's leafed out. And he goes over, and upon further investigation, there is no fruit on the tree that has all of the appropriate stuff. <laughs> and this is actually the timing of it is so, it's so amazing. Uh, this, by the way, the cursing of the fig tree is literally the only destructive miracle I'm being careful with this, the only destructive miracle that Jesus ever performed. And it amazes the disciples. We're going to go to Matthew and find out what Peter, he was like blown away by this. Because that day, he curses it, and they go on to the other job at hand. What was that? What's the first thing you would do if you were a king, and you're in Israel, and you are the Messiah? From everyone else living in that country, I'm including the disciples, we are going straight to the Roman complex. We're going to take this city back for God. <laughs> And Jesus said, no, 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 we're not going to start there. We're going to start what's really important. I'm going to start where I'm supposed to be living in the temple. That's where I'm going to start. And he does. And he goes in and he clears this place out. And you can tell from just the day that it took all day long. And he healed people. Everybody left. He kicked all the, you know, the coyotes out. Again, there was a pun there. He's the great shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. They're all gone, but the lame and the blind were there. And you know what it says? He healed them all. He took it back. He took the house back. He took that house of prayer back. It's his again. Isn't that cool? That's fantastic. Because that's where the battle has always been. America. It's hard for me not to engage in our country as well here. We're right there. It's no. I gotta wait. I gotta wait with it. I gotta wait. It's point two. We're not even 2.1 yet, so we've got to keep moving. And that fig tree, the next morning, and we just read about it. See, they would have went home, I'm convinced, in the dark, back to Bethany. They went back to Bethany. That fig tree that he would have cursed, that its life ended, Matthew says immediately. He cursed it. It was done. Couldn't see it yet, but it died from the roots up. The next morning, they walked by this fig tree, and we just read it. Now, now we're on to today, finally. That took long enough. And Peter says, that tree's dead that you cursed yesterday. He's amazed. In fact, let's go to Matthew for a moment. I want you to see this. Uh, This is what takes us to the lesson on prayer. And you're going to say, what's the connection? How do you get from a cursed fig tree, which actually is symbolic of the nation Israel? But let's turn to Matthew. uh, I believe 21 we'll find it. Uh, Verse 18. Verse 18. In the morning as he returned into the city, this is Matthew 21:18. he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? They're marveled. Did you see that? They're surprised. Now, this isn't the first time they see Jesus's power unleashed, but in every other case, it had been in the sense of healing, uh, power over hunger. You name it, a demon demon had no chance in Jesus' presence. There was nothing of which Jesus couldn't handle. Why were they marveling at this? This is the first time they've seen something in the sense of destructive. Now, they had had missed the figurative uh, lining out of this, shall we say, but literally, and we went back to, write this down again in your notes, uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 6, Jesus talks about a parable, and there was a a, a man that owned the vineyard, and he said... uh, that, that tree, that fig tree, it does not producing anything. Let's just cut it down. It's taking up space for nothing. And remember what, that, what the vine dresser said? No, let's wait. Give me, give me a year, and let's see if we can't bring this out of it. And it stops there. It doesn't tell you if it happened or it didn't happen. It's just like Larry wants to know, because I want to know that stuff. Did it, did it ever produce? Did that guy have the right fertilizer? Did he have the right sunshine? Did he have the right everything going on? We don't know. But it's like it, Jesus picks up the parable now, and, it, and he says, oh, there's nothing on that tree. You're done. It's over. You're not ever going to produce anything more. That's a picture of Israel. That's a symbol of Israel. A lot of fluff, a lot of leaves, and you know where he went next? He went to the temple and cleaned that place up because it's exactly what the nation of Israel had become. A fruitless, leafy religiosity everywhere, fluff and stuff and no fruit. Boy, that's a message to us individually too, isn't it? What's our life look like? Do we have a lot of fluff? Do we know the right words? Do we dress up? Do we go? We do. Is there fruit? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, by their fruits, you shall know them. It talks about two trees. An evil tree cannot produce good fruit. A good tree cannot produce evil fruit. This is a picture of Israel. He'd given them enough time. In fact, the disciples didn't see this till later, probably, and maybe even much later. But, you know, Jesus didn't only give them one year. It was three years from the time he cleansed cleansed the temple the first time in John chapter 2. Three years later, he's back. It's the same. And, yes, he cleaned it again. And, yes, he's cursed the tree to show that Israel's demise is right around the corner. And after 84 years of building that temple, Herod came in and he thought, you know, if you can really give them a nice place to worship, I'll have them in my hands. It's amazing how stuff can buy people. Isn't it? It really it works. It works today, too, by, by the way. And after 84 years of that, in A.D. 70, they came in and leveled that place. There's been not one stone on top of another. There's never been a temple since that, either. It's gone. The thing they really clung to, the thing they really thought they had to have, was gone. And that pronouncement on that day, the day after Jesus was literally crowned king, if you will, he took on the real enemy, and that's sin. The sense of the church in our case, in the sense of the religiosity, Judaism. Non-productive, lots of foliage, but no production. That kind of speaks loudly in our country today. A lot of stuff. And then he does something that seems really odd. Uh, again, the disciples are marveling. That's a good time to catch your attention. I, I want, the, for instance, a great teaching moment is when someone is asking a question. That's a great time to teach. Or if there is excitement and you've got their attention, that's a great time to teach a young person particularly. They're, they're glued in. These disciples are glued in to this, this event. This, this fig tree, which was full of life yesterday, not full of fruit, full of stuff, full of foliage. And now the next morning as they're walking by, Peter, uh, it's dead. <laughs> no more leaves. It's just, it's, just, it's dead. And Jesus says, "Well, what, what, what would you say to this disciple? You doubt my power? No, he goes deeper than that. And this is where it almost seems like a disconnect. He says, what a great opportunity because you've noticed the power that was unleashed for me to talk to you about prayer. And you're saying, miss that one. <laughs> What's the connection here? How, does, how do you move from cursing a fig tree to let's talk about prayer? Uh But I want you to put, again, context is so very, very important. For three years, these disciples had went through and canvassed this land. It was Jesus' ministry. For three years, they'd followed him, enjoyed the moments, but you know what they didn't do? They didn't pray, they didn't have to. Literally he's right there. Jesus, we're kind of hungry, what are you going to do about it? Or the, the sea is crazy wild, can you fix it? He's right there. You can grab him by the arm and you can hold on to it if you're really scared. And you know what he's preparing them for? What you've just seen is, yes, power unleashed, but I want you to be ready because I'm gonna be gone. Literally, within 72 hours, he will no longer be with them. Now, yes, he he comes out of the grave, he ascends. And yes, he's with them for a short period of time. But in Acts chapter one, he's gone. And we're gonna look at this, this is great. They caught this lesson. And he says, you need to know how to pray. You need to know the effective components of powerful prayer. It's a great time, isn't it? They're about to, Jesus is not going to be right there. For three years, he's been like the go-to guy, right? Now, we've never known that. Now, if you think that you've had Jesus right beside you physically, we probably should work through that a little bit, because he was here on the earth way back when, 2,000 years ago. We've learned as Christians, those of you that have trusted Christ, that We speak, our lifeline, our oxygen, everything that we have in the sense of life is prayer. That's why we can't ever get good enough at it. Faith and prayer. You can't get good enough at it. The disciples knew nothing of that. They were selected, handpicked by this Messiah, this keeper of God's kingdom, and he's right there. And he's praying all the time. You've noticed. You can't read the Gospels without picking up Jesus prayed a lot which is a good lesson for us. If there was ever a model, it's Jesus. He prayed all of the time. And he's getting them ready for the moments of which he would leave them. But what does he say? There's some words that I want that we'll kind of be using today in the sense of effective prayer. Now, he uses some really big words, big ideas. And for them, the disciples, I don't think it was as hard a thing for them to believe that Jesus could curse that tree and it could die. It was amazing to them how quickly it happened. I mean, literally, the first day it's just this beautiful, and fig trees in that area. There was a lot of them around, and they typically would grow twenty feet high, twenty feet wide. It was a shade. it was for shade in many cases. It was it was a wonderful tree, actually. And to see that, and all of a sudden, I, I mean, I believe it. It's it's new. There's just sticks. There's a, there's a. It's dead. That just blew them away. And he goes on and he says, "If you think that's a big deal." Let's keep going. So let's go to our text now. In chapter, uh, I'm going to go back to uh, math, uh, Mar- Mark. Let's go back to Mark, chapter 11. And let's take a look. Mark, chapter 11. Let's get ourselves right into it. The timing we've, we've just talked about. This is for the disciples' good coming up quickly. And in Mark, chapter 11, it says, They saw the fig tree it was withered, the one he had cursed, and then in verse 22, he responds after Peter. The disciples are just blown away. And he says, have faith in God. Huh. How does that fit together? And then he goes on and he says this. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Now, I, we're, nobody knows exactly which mountain. Is it the Mount of Olives? Probably, because it would be the one that would be right by Jerusalem. He would see it. It could be, it could be in Sarah, But he, he said, this mountain it would be like me opening the door, and we sh- and I show out there Mount Baldy. You, g- you guys all know where Baldy is. And they would have known the mountain that Jesus was. He said, it's just like if you have faith in God, you can tell that mountain to be dropped into the sea. Now, in this, it would have even been the drop backdrop would have been more. You can see the Mount of Olives is a mountain. It literally could have fallen into the Dead Sea, like a 4,000-foot drop. It would have even made more sense. In other words, it's just like, bloop, bloop, it's done. It's that simple for God. The disciples, I'm sure, are just awestruck. He goes on to say, And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which saith he shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. That is a monstrous verse. That is a monstrous. Now, there's a lot of people that get hung up in the fact, You mean I can literally say to a mountain? That's not what it's about. In the Babylonian Talmud, rabbis would have been uh, depicted as movers of mountains. What does that mean? Did they move mountains? No, they handle really difficult problems. You've heard the thing, uh, you know that guy. He's amazing. He can move mountains. What does that mean? He can handle really difficult stuff. The harder the stuff, that's who I want in charge. That's that's the idea. It's an analogy. It's not like literally take Mount of Olives and st- now can God do that? Yes, He can. With God, there's nothing impossible. That's what that's what Mary, the Virgin Mary, needed to hear from that angel because she said. Uh, no, 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 wait, 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 whoa, stop. Just, just a second. I'm like, you know, she's probably 15, 16. Betrothed to Joseph. And this angel says, You're gonna have a baby. That's 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 problematic. She says, Well, I've never known a man. I mean, uh, this doesn't fit. I mean, this isn't this doesn't this doesn't fit biology, doesn't fit any. how can this be? Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you, a virgin, will bear a son. For with God, nothing is impossible. And you know what she did with that? Okay. That's faith. That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, we start out, and the first thing we have to know if we're going to have essential, effective prayer. Is the fact that one of the 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 component we must start with, and that's why we have the Word of God. What would happen to your life if you no longer would have access to the Word of God or would not even have known that it existed? I can't imagine it. Here we are in a land rich, overflowing with Bibles. How many of what percentage of our population is using those Bibles or knows what's in them? There are young people today wouldn't even, they they don't even know what it is. They don't even know what it is. That's troubling because the one word I want to start with today is historically, for effective prayer to take place, we must remember. Remember. If you would remember, uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, it's about 15 to 20 times, I'm rounding it off, that God says to the Israelites, remember. 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 Remember what got... uh, (laughs) Again, remember, see, this this all helps us. Uh, Oh, remember how in Jericho? Let's go back to that for a moment. Remember for a moment? Jesus is healing blind Bartimaeus? What do you know about Jericho? Remember? Jesus is now standing there, but he would have had a way back, way back descendant, a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute living in in Jericho. And she heard of what? She heard of the parting of the Red Sea. And she said, that's a bigger God than I have. That's a really big God. In fact, it's a big enough God. I'm scared of you guys if that's your God. I want to have your God. And she becomes, literally, think of this. Think of the grace of God. That woman, Rahab, is in Jesus' lineage. And he's standing in the place where she grew up this Jesus and heals blind Bartimaeus. Remember, see, I can go back with, and look at the Bible, and you read all of the accounts about Jesus Christ. I'm remembering that the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter twenty, they're asked to remember what God had done for them in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the producing manna. Oh, we don't God provided. Our water's really bad. I need new water, and He provided water. He provided Moses. He provided everything they needed. And you know what that makes? your prayer life effective when you remember who and what he's done this is this is absolutely foundational you must remember who God is historically what has he done that's why there's one good thing Paul about getting old there's a lot of stuff has happened in our life and when we remember what God has taken us through it makes our faith stronger stronger remember Let's go to Isaiah chapter 46, even God says to remember. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 and 9. You can read the chapter for yourself, but just look at this. Even in, the, in the, both of these verses, he starts the verse, verse 8, chapter 46 of Isaiah. Are you all there? Remember this, and show yourselves, men. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. Verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Remember that. Like I said, a lot of our problems in America today, we can't even, we we, we don't even know what bathroom to go in now. (laughs) You know what the problem is? It says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created That's a great place to start. If you get that, everything else starts to flow into place, right? (coughs) We have lost our minds. We need Jesus. Jesus. You're exactly right. Just like the Jews needed Jesus, they meet him today too, I'm not going to say. Because you know what? They're on the same path today. You follow after all of this legalistic Judaism, they miss Jesus. They miss the Messiah. They're still looking for him. They still want a temple. They want a sacrifice. No, he did it. They're, they're compiling stuff to build a new temple so they can really get religion right. No, 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 no. Jesus is that answer. Aren't you glad you have Jesus? Yes. Now, the second one, the word I want you to know, is we'll find it. Let's go back to, I've got you in Isaiah. Let's go back to uh, Mark chapter 11, and let's look at verse 22. Mark eleven twenty-two. He starts, and he he says this. After they see this, he says, first first four words. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. I'm going to write this word down. This this word is big no matter who you are. That's trust. If you're here today, most of you are experiencing trust, and I can see it. I, I can see objectively that you've trusted at least one thing right now. The chair you're sitting in, you've trusted it with you. Now I don't know if some, you know, I've, I've used this analogy, but it fits so perfectly. I, I'm sure maybe some of you came in and tipped that chair over and you're like, "Well, I don't know." Boo, that's a, I'm gonna try that. But you know what? At, when you sat down, you trusted that chair. That's literally what trust looks like. Trust God. That's what verse 22 is talking. Trust God. Uh, this morning I was, let's see if I still have it. Somebody, does not money go away quickly nowadays? I've got a dollar bill. I don't think it's worth anything anymore, quite honestly. If you doubt that, just wait a week. I mean, if they talk about inflation, it's, you know, it's worthless and they're printing more and more and more. Isn't it true? Yes. Now, there's a lot of reasons. We can come up with a lot of reasons why the dollar, and this is uh, the United States of America, it's, 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 it's a dollar bill and it has writing on it. And You can come up with multiples of reasons why it doesn't have as much value today, as it did previously. Now, the, the picture of George Washington is on the front. Okay? I don't know how he got there. There's a story, I'm sure, but he was obviously a very brilliant, vibrant, passionate leader in the Revolutionary War. He served as our first president. Is he worthy to be there? I think it's fine. I mean, there's a man that trusted God. I mean, all things against him, he trusted God. Again, I'm not being his judge, I'm not being, but you could just tell the moments of complete potential failure, he still reacted by doing what seemed the, the impossible. Faith is like that. But here's, here's the real reason that the dollar is not worth anything today. Now, some could say that when we moved away from a gold standard, 1973, that we lost the value of the dollar. I'm not going to say it helped, but that's not the reason. I could come up with a whole lot of other instances why this dollar is not worth hardly anything. And I think we're coming to the day very quickly, this will basically be worth nothing. And the answer is on the dollar bill. On the back of it, it says this. The United States of America. Now, that's something that's not today either. I see no united anything. Correct? It's division everywhere. And if there's not enough, they throw another divis- divisive word to make sure that there's more division. Where does division come from? Satan. Okay? No. But the words underneath the United States of America are the key component to why we're here today with not only no value in our money, there's no value in our relationships. There's no value in anything because it says these four words. In God we trust That's what made this dollar bill what it was. Now, what I want you to do for a moment, in the place of God, in those four words, in God we trust, plug in anything. In gold we trust. That's just changing one letter, adding a letter. If you're trusting in gold, it doesn't matter. You can stick a person's name in that. If, If we would have said, in George Washington we trust... Dead meat. You can pick a hero today, whoever that might be, and in that person's name, we trust. Won't work. In silver, we trust. In real estate, we trust. In power, we trust. In, you you see where I'm going? No, America's problem, just like it was the Jews. In God, we trust. When we do that, it takes care of itself. That's what America needs. We need to get back to basics. In the beginning, God created. That's where it starts. There is a God. And Alcoholics Anonymous in their 12-step program, which I'm not familiar with particularly, but the first rule is this. There is a God and is isn't you. It's deeper than that. Because here's another one. This is what, right today, if we were going to write on the back of this dollar bill or any other denomination of any tender in this country today, it would read this. In self, we trust. And that's why we're on a course, a crash course, literally to the end of this age, hurtling towards it because self knows it can't solve problems. That's why in the end it will be in antichrist we trust. And the Bible says that's coming. I don't know how close. Not that kind of guy. But I can tell you we are hurtling towards that because there are people wanting anything other than God. And that's what we could say next. And anything other than God we trust, that would probably suffice for a good share of America today, too. We no longer can call America a Christian nation. Christian would mean you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We we can't even comprehend that as a nation. Now, granted, many of you here today have trusted Christ as Savior. I hope all of you. And he's open, he's available to each and every one of us. He died, he's on his pathway, 72 hours away from hanging on a cross, and when he says those last three words of his physical life, it is finished, it was finished. It was the end of the beginning. He had canceled the penalty of sin because he wore it. That just makes me passionate about Jesus Christ. See, it's not about politics. It's not about gold. It's not about power. I'm talking power in the sense of man's power. Uh, power corrupts and ultimately absolute power absolutely corrupts. That's proven every single day across this world. You give a dictator, you give a pretty nice, humble kind of a meek person, you give them enough power long enough and they get full of themselves and pretty soon that self takes over and is just diabolically corrupt because it comes from the inside. That's why Jesus came the first time, was to take corruptness out of where it really mattered. (sighs) Trust God. Trust God. Now, uh, we want to make a clear distinction here as well. Let's read that again. Verse 22, Mark chapter 11. Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. What is the key there? Now, there's some that would say, It's faith. We've got to have faith. In God. It's in God. Because the power is in God, the power is not in your faith. Mark that carefully. The faith is empty hands receiving what God provides in His power and strength. In other words, if I have faith in faith, it's only as strong as I am. And if you're believing in faith and faith in your life, it's only as strong as you are. That's not strong enough. God is where the strength is. God is where the, where the power is. That's where your trust is. It's not the power of the trust. It's the power of God. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. How do we get that all messed up? I mean, there's television evangelist programs and all of this stuff that, if you have enough faith, just claim it by faith. No, doubt that. No, 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 doubt that because your faith is not strong enough. In fact, we're going to talk about how much faith is enough. We're, we're going to go to the scriptures and see that. But this is literally trust God, <laughs> not trust faith. Do you see the difference? It's massive. If you miss that, then you've missed the power of God. And you've placed the power in something that you're bringing to the table or being part of. No, 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 a thousand times no. Trust God. That's why in America, this dollar bill again. Who are we to trust? God. That's the key. That's the component. When somebody raises up an individual, a human, to a level of where that he is the answer or she is the answer, no. No, now God can use those people. In fact, God could use evil, diabolical men such as Nebuchadnezzar. He was a creep. And amazing. Just think of that. Think of the, the grace that God even exhibited in Nebuchadnezzar when he really thought he was really something. Daniel went and said, you know what? You're headed for a wreck, buddy. That tree you saw in that vision, yeah, God's going to cut it down. And for seven years, he wandered around thinking he was a cow eating grass. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the awesome empire ruler of the world. But you know at the end, you know what he saw? I knew that God was God. That's coming again to America. I don't know what our our final, we're not in Revelation. I can't find America in Revelation. We're somehow there or gone or whatever. The point of the matter is, Philippians is not by vain. Every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. i just soon do it early. Right? Let's get that right out of the way. Let's find out really where our honor, our trust really is. And it has to be in Jesus Christ. Trust God. Trust God. Now, His will is first and foundational. Let's take a couple looks at... Let me, I'll, leave, I'll leave this for a little bit later, actually. Because it's all about Him. Uh, let's take a look, though, at 1 Peter chapter 4 in the sense of submitting to Him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there. Isn't that amazing? When you're willing to submit, when you're willing to yield to that creator, even though you're suffering according to his will, what a great place to be. God knows everything about everything, about everyone. That's big. And the other thing is, if He sent Jesus to die for you, don't you think He has your best interests in mind? Whew. Trust in God. The power is in him. I want you to uh, let's go to uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. And I think I, I was going to read out of the NAS. Go to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. This is, no, where's Paul in Philippians chapter 1? Where's he at? He's, He's in jail. He's in prison. He's <laughs> having a great time. Downtown jaildom prison avenue early on in that chapter of chapter one of philippians he says this verse 12 read with me now i want you to know brethren that my circumstances what's that i'm in jail have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else isn't that great the whole, role, in fact, you'll find in some of his letters he dismisses that he's writing off, he's, he's, bene, he's writing a benediction. The emperor's inside people have trusted Christ. How do you think that happened? God's will that Paul would be in prison so that the prison guard would literally be exposed to this man that's a Jesus person. And then it goes on to say this and that most of the brethren, verse 14, watch this trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. That, my friends, is what trusting in God is all about. Those circumstances look bleak. They looked terrible, but Paul was able to see, even while he's there, to say, wait a minute, I'm seeing the encouragement in my fellow brothers. I'm seeing the Roman guard, if you will, that's been saved and trusted Christ because of my being here. If that doesn't bring a hallelujah. Now, see, I'm such a man of weak faith. You know how I can tell? Because there's those moments in which my faith seems so uh, for me to stand and talk to you, and I'm reading about you know, I'm remembering right now? See, that's the key. That's the key. Effective, essential, powerful prayer is based on remembrance. And you know what? As I'm sitting in that chopper that broke down, and I've got customers waiting, and I'm frustrated. And I can't get parts. You know what I'm not doing? I'm not remembering. I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting, now, those of you who don't know about choppers, am I trusting cloths? That's the chopper make. That's the model of what I'm driving, right? And it's broke down. So I'm irritated. I'm upset because my customers are, oh, when are you going to get that fixed? How soon are you going to, be the next guy, uh, Larry, when are you going to be here? See, that stuff eats at you, doesn't it? Especially if you're a service-oriented guy. It's one of the reasons that we do this is we like to help people. Those two families that I talked about. I went back after I'd left to the Tostan area because I knew there was two families that needed help. And I wanted to be part of that. You, you see what I'm saying? And that's the times that just really frustrating because you think you're really doing what God wants you to do. And these little things that seem so big at the time just come, just lurching out of somewhere, right? And then after a fact, I said, oh, so small. So little faith. So little faith. Who was I trusting? Do you see what I'm saying? And it's for all of you. You guys are smiling with me because I know you're right there with me. And it may not be a cloth chopper, and I'm not beating them up, but because they all break down. If man made it, it's going to break. And I don't know why we can't get parts anymore, but it doesn't matter, right? I've even taken parts out of a box, and it's brand new, and it's shot. It doesn't work. Have you had that experience? Oh, my goodness. I think the last one was an actuator for a turbo on an 8430, right? And, and so they put it on, and, and Laramie you know, it's supposed to just you know, like do its thing just turn a key, didn't do it. So they bring a bring a mechanic out. We get one out, finally. And it took a little time. Uh, they're not really Johnny on the spot anymore. Have you noticed that? You can't just get in to get your car serviced or whatever. And the guy said, you know, this actuator isn't any good. It's new. But it's not any good, right? That happens all the time. Now, now, is that a time of moment of thing? yes, praise God, hallelujah. I, here's, here's Larry. This last week, right? And he's and he, way behind, and we're trying to get to this job, right? And I got, a, I got a merger and a tractor on this on my machinery trailer, and I'm over with. You know, it's just it's it's okay, but I mean, it's just and then. Larry looked in the tank because my fuel gauge doesn't work because there's a headache rack that I would have to take off to fix the fuel gauge, and we don't have time for that. And this has been going on for too long, but whatever, are you there with me? And I'm cruising up to the three forks and I'm getting just about to the top of the hill. Poop, 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 poop. And I looked at the fuel tank and I would have swore it was a half full. It's empty. And now I got a guardrail and I'm pulled all over. I got this much room and I'm still out there, and I'm like, oh my goodness, right? <laughs> and it's like, God, I thought I was, I thought I was doing the right thing, right? I mean, why am I even going here? It would have been easier to stay home and just say no. But there I am, and the traffic is crazy. It's July 5th or 6th, and everybody's going home, and they're on my road. (laughs) You've been there, and you can't even step up because they'll kill you, right? I mean, (laughs) right? Oh, my goodness. But we, I called, of course, the fuel trailer was already up at the job, so I called Sarah Anson is working for us, right? So I Sarah, a little bit of a problem. <laughs> Could you bring that back? Well, why? Well, let's not get into that. <laughs> just come back. So she comes back, and, and, and we just kind of get in, and we back it up, and we just get fuel in it, and we prime it, and we take off. And it's just like, what? See, those, are, those frustrating moments can take our eyes off of Jesus, can't they? It can take our eyes off of Jesus. And then, it's, see, it's coming down to, That's why I have to ask the question myself. Who am I trusting? What am I trusting? Why am I trusting? See, Jesus is so clear on this right out of the box. Trust God. You know, I was thinking, I was driving up there, what if I hadn't run out of fuel and there could have been a wreck somewhere and I would have been right in the middle of it? We don't know those things, right? How many times have I been irritated by it? And I'll tell you what, there are those that I actually recall that just doing the timing, Either I was, you know what I mean, you were held up by somebody. I can't believe I'm waiting, right? That kind of stuff. And you know what? There was an accident ahead of me. And if you do the math, you would have been I would have been right there. Right? See, it's amazing. We don't even know how much God protects us from. We don't have any idea. Or puts us into a situation that others see how God is working in our lives. You take the most the most difficult circumstance in your life. You may take you a while to get it just think about it for a moment. I will guarantee you that God used that circumstance, which was hard on you. We just read it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. When you're submitted to suffering in His will, that, that seems so weird to you, right? How could suffer my suffering be in His will? Someone probably came to Christ as a result of that. What could be better in eternity's view? One person. If I, my life is effective in one person coming to Christ eternally, then my life has been worth it. Who am I trusting? See, this, this lesson's to me. This morning was, I mean, it was crazy. I, I've, I've told my wife and my family a million times I'm going to quit. Lisa's heard it more than anyone. Maybe God, maybe God's heard it more. <laughs> I give up. I quit. I can't handle this anymore. But there's another level beyond just trusting in God. And part of that is, is persistence in prayer. Many of you have prayed for family members, maybe sons, daughters, uncles, aunts, fathers, mothers, grandmothers, praying for their salvation. You know what? You you didn't just pray for one day for 24 hours. I guess that didn't work. (laughs) You know what? Some of you have prayed for years and decades, decades, decades. That's what faith, now now we're back to faith. There's God, trusting God, and then there's faith. You know what faith is? It's persistence. The longer you pray, <coughs> the more your faith grows. Let's go look at a couple of examples. Let's go to the Gospels, and let's go back to, um, let see, i got to find, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. That's surprising, isn't it? Um, let's go to Mark. Uh, I don't know if that's the one I want to go to. Let's go to Matthew 17. Let's try that one. I may have to move you around because I might have mixed them up. Matthew 17, verse 20. I wanted, one thing, I had, I had just thought of this this morning, coming back to trusting God. I've used the dollar bill. And here's the deal. America's problems is not because we got off the gold standard. America's problems is because we got off the God standard. That need to be preached far and wide. Far and wide. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. And let's take a look at, let's see here. Oh yeah yeah this is going to be great. Okay I'm not going to read it all but if you at home on your own go to chapter 17 verse 1 and you'll read through that and you'll see the transfiguration. We we spoke of that we studied through that and then it was like they came off this mountain of transfiguration they saw Jesus for who he really they really is God. I mean his his face shown they saw the god part of him. That must have been amazing, wasn't it? And they come down and watch the godless mess uh, in verse 14 of chapter 17 of Matthew, when they were come to to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water, and I brought him to thy disciples, the other guys, you know, the nine that were left behind, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, what's that word? Faithless. We are now talking about no faith. Faithless. Generation, okay? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I, shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Jesus rebuked the devil. He departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples of Jesus' apart. Why could we not cast him out? Jesus said, and because of your unbelief, okay? Now, there's no belief. Let's go back to uh, maybe a... Uh, Let's go to Mark anyway. Mark chapter nine. I think it's the same, the same example. But I, let's just check. Mark chapter nine, verses fourteen through twenty. Yeah, it is. It's a, but but it's okay. It's okay, because it even helps us to see what's about. The question here is, how much faith is enough? Right? Have you ever known that? How many of you have perfect faith? Please don't raise your hand because there's none out there that have it. There's not a person on this planet ever has been that has perfect faith. Uh, and God and Jesus Christ didn't have he was God okay he was perfect there's not one of you here today that has perfect faith so how much does it take well let's take let's take take, take a look at this for a moment mark chapter 9 same uh, event but a different writer Different gospel. Uh, verse 14, when he had came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude, just as after transfiguration, about them, and the scribes questioning with him. Straightway, all of the people when they beheld him were greatly amazed. Running to him, saluted him, he asked the scribes, what question you with them? One of the multitude answered, said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnashes with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake that thy disciples, they could cast him out, and they could not. He answered and said again, O faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him unto me. They brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tore him, fell to the ground, wallowing, foaming. Now watch, he asked the father something, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came upon him? Now, keep this in mind. Do you think Jesus didn't know? Oh, he knew. He knew. He's going to use this. And he said of a child, and oftentimes he has cast him into the fire into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Do you see that? This, this man is at the end of his rope. He's at the end of his rope. He said, if you can do anything, help us. And watch how Jesus says this. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. It this sounds like the same thing he's teaching to disciples now, isn't it? If you, can tell that mount, if you can tell that mountain to fall into that sea, it can happen. And straightway, this is key, straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I have to pray that sometimes. God, I just got this little tiny bit of faith and I need more. Help my unbelief. Isn't that, isn't that being honest? Isn't that great? It's not about my faith. Remember that when the disciples? There was another event, which I didn't write down in my notes, but you'll remember it. It was much on the same time. You see, you, you could you could move that mountain. If you had the seed the size of a mustard seed. Mustard seed. That's not a lot of faith. But that's the key. The mustard seed, I, I no, I really don't, I don't like mustard personally, because it's in my fields and I it's just right. But if I had a mustard seed, it would be really small. In fact, I could hold it between my fingers and it would still be clenched, my fingers, and you couldn't see it. But what happens to that mustard seed? Oh, it gets big. I can tell you that. It's out there. It's yellow. It's like, and even in, in Jesus's day, it was even bigger than that. It would be almost tree size. He said, you know, it just takes that small seed. The point is, it's not necessarily what it starts as, because it's just like Abram. Follow his life. Remember him? Oh, man, I'm telling you. That guy was not exactly full of faith. How would you like to have been his wife? Cruising to Egypt? Getting close? They were going there because of a famine. Guess what? You know, doesn't, we don't find where Abram checked in with God. God, do you think I should move? Do you think I should go to Egypt because they got stuff down there? Is that where you want me? Isn't that great to start every morning, every single morning? God, what do you want me to do today? I want to know what he wants me to do today. <laughs> right? And Abram, I don't see any of that. But he gets there and he says, honey, 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 let's, let's, be, let's, let's just let's get real about this for a moment. You're beautiful. Well, thank you, dear. Um, but because of that... Um, there's some men in Egypt that are going to admire your beauty as well. And it's just going to go better for, for you, I mean me, uh, no, you, if, if, we just, if you just say that you're my sister. <laughs> Thank you, honey. Just like taking her and throwing her under the bus. And technically, now get this, now we could rationalize, we could go through this because he was, she was his half-sister. So it's kind of like just a half-a-lie. Here's the key with America today. Nothing's a half-a-lie. It's a whole lie if it's not true. That's how we've gotten to this complete demise of the media and the complete demise of the loss of truth. And I'm saying that loss in the sense of, 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 of not discovering it. Truth is always going to be truth because God is at the basis and behind all truth. It's not going anywhere, but to cover it and and, and to spin it. uh, We've told half-truths to get to the point now that we don't even know the difference between truth and a lie, so therefore we just say whatever we want to say. We spew it. In self, we trust. We're back to our motto. It's plagued in America. And she goes along with it. But you know what? That's the same Abram back in chapter 22 of Genesis that's grown up a bit, a lot. In fact, he went through the... And not to say Sarah's perfect either, God told them both, I'm going to give you descendants as the sand of the sea. And time went by, and more time went by, and they stopped. <laughs> Can you imagine those morning chats in the bedroom with uh, with, Mo, with, uh, Moses, with Abram and Sarah? I, I, what do you think, honey? I, this is not going to work. I'm way too old, and you are too. Well, well you're getting older. How was that? You know, he he wanted to be, you know, kind of shade that a little bit. And you know what? They agreed. Yeah, that's true. She said, I've got a plan. Remember when we were in Egypt when you said that I was beautiful and that you should not be my husband? Remember that part? Mm -hmm. Right? Because I think it actually opens up to the idea. As bad as this is, he says, well, remember we came home with some baggage. And her name is? Hagar. Hagar. So here's my plan. Because I'm going to help God out. Have you tried to help God out? it never works out, it never works, ever, have you noticed that, you're smiling because you know it doesn't work out, right, it's like hiding from God, try that sometime, that really works out good, at any rate, so she says, just take Hagar and and have a child with her, I guess, right, Abram's got the great comeback, he just does it, God is very disappointed, isn't he, where's the faith? Where's the faith? Where was Abram's faith when he basically didn't even trust... Well, he shouldn't have been in Egypt anyway. didn't trust God enough to talk to him. See, that's sometimes for me. I'm, I'm off doing stuff, and you just lose... Str- I'm not remembering. I'm not remembering where my strength is from. And you just go off and do stuff, and pretty soon, you know what? God wasn't even part of the equation. Isn't that amazing? You know what happens soon? Thankfulness goes whew, right out the window. When you're not thinking about God, you can't possibly be thankful. You can't. Well, anyway, is this the same Abram that in chapter 22 that finally... They do it God's way. And it's amazing. you know. Sarah, they come to visit, and, and he says, God does, he says, um, this time next year, your wife's going to have a baby. <laughs> you know how old I am? You know what? Had a baby. Now it's rocking and rolling, right? And then about 16 years later, plus or minus, God comes to Abram in the morning and says, uh, I want you to go sacrifice your son there. On Mount Moriah. Do you know Mount Moriah is? We talked about this a couple of... Do you, know, do, you, do you know that that's where the temple is at Jerusalem? The same place that temple got started was the day, the place that Abram was able to take his son Isaac and prove a lesson about true worship. I'm going to give everything that I'm trusting, everything that I could trust in, and I'm going to give it to you. On that mountain is where the temple was that Jesus was cleaning because it's a house of worship and of prayer. And it started with a perfect, perfect example, this same Abram, whose faith was like a mustard seed. And I would have to say, when he started, when he took that first call, it was probably a nothing seed. Right? And you know what happened? The longer he walked with God, the more he prayed, the more he's into God's remembering and trusting. Guess what happens to his faith? It grows and it grows. And it grows, and it grows, and you know what? He said to God, three days, I'm going to travel to Mount Moriah, and I'm going to worship you by sacrificing the thing that I really could put my trust in, because this is what you said, that this is where my beginning would come. This is where my descendants are coming from. But it's not about just that. It's about the fact I'm going to trust you, God, on what you told me, because I believe you. That's what we're talking about. Do you see how God changed that man? I'm thinking, and I've done this over the course of the years, but there's little moments of where my faith grew. And you know what makes it stronger today? When I remember those. When I remember how God got me through a really tough spot. And I knew he was God. And he's doing that for you. A, new, a, a, a newly saved person, someone that hasn't known Christ, relationally for a very long time, that's a vulnerable place. That's why Satan, the first and foremost thing they want to put in that person, man, woman, or child, is doubting who God is. Then he has you. What did he do with Eve? It's exactly the same thing. Did God really deny you the opportunity to eat of that tree? He doesn't love you. That's what he's saying. Doubt is the most diabolical thing that Satan uses and pulls out of his tool chest, even for Christians. When you doubt your salvation, guess what? Go back and remember what the word says. And we know if we believe in Christ Jesus, we have eternal life. Isn't that fantastic? And he marks it in the word, and he gave us the word. That's why it's written down. Absolutely. And, and you know what? Train your children, instruct your children. That's what we kept telling Moses. Instruct, remember, defo- disciple, make them aware. Why? So they can have effective prayer lives as well. Whew. Why well, I'm all worked up today? Because it's good stuff. And sometimes it takes those, those moments that we see how frail and how fragile how small our faith is, to be rehearsing the fact that, you know what, God is bigger than that. He's okay with a little faith the size of a mustard seed, but don't let it stop. Let it grow. And you know how you grow faith? You pray, and you pray, and you pray. The more we pray, why, why do you pray? It, it is, it's our oxygen. With, without prayer in a Christian's life, you, you will die. I'm, I'm being careful how I say that, because if you're in Christ, you are eternally saved. You're not unjustified. I can't find that. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. God doesn't take back what he's given to you. The Holy Spirit is living within you, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are the temple of God. He doesn't give up his temple. Now, you can treat it despicably, but the point is, you're his. But if you want, if you want to make that temple less desirable for God to live in, if you want to be crow, crowding out other things, are other things crowding him out? go ahead and stop praying. Stop praying and you will definitely move backwards. You will definitely be food deprived. In fact, your fruit will go away. Isn't that something? Praying actually produces. Uh, how did I write that down? There was something. I'm going to find my glasses. I'll be with you in just a moment. Where did I write that Oh, yes, so true. Prayer precedes power. Prayer precedes power. You're not going to get God's power if you're not praying. Because it comes through faith, by the faith that's trusting in God. When you're trusting in God to the level he's asking them to do essentially, prayer is always the predecessor of power. Jesus is teaching these disciples how important it is. Praying. Now, there's something that seems so obvious. Let's see, we've got, oh, I I was going to put another word up. These are words that, faith, okay? In its proper perspective, strength is not in faith. Power is not in faith. The faith is the avenue, the conduit of which you're speaking to God, of which you're receiving what he has for you. Now, asking in his will, keep that in mind. How do, you, how do you know what his will is? Ooh, this is key. Two ways. Read the Bible. The more you know about God, the more you know what he desires, the more you know how he operates. Think of Jesus Christ. Oh, that, that'll be here in just a second. The more you pray, the more you understand who God is. And I want to know what his will is. I know mine's not smart enough. I know I don't know enough. I know that I'm not capable of understanding enough. I want to know what God's will is. And the more I pray, that's more aligning with who he is. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. See, it's about God, isn't it? That's what sets us all up, puts us in the proper perspective. Now, the other thing about effective essential prayer is it seems so obvious, and yet... Let's go back to our, to our text in mark chapter uh, eleven. I think I had you in nine last, mark chapter eleven, and let let's focus again as we go through. We'll start again in verse 23 as he ties it together verse twenty two have faith in God for verily I say unto you that whosoever oh stop there for a second, let me read it differently and you'll pick it right up. For I verily say unto you that Billy Graham shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. You could plug any name. In. I don't know why I plug Billy's in, but you, the point of the matter was are, Paul, the apostle, he could say that because he's, did you see, write that word down. This is grace. Whosoever. Whosoever. That's you. That's you. Talk about a grace gift. Keep going. Be thou removed, but thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, we've talked about all those, that those things which he saith shall come to pass, and he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall, have, you shall have them. Now that word doesn't actually show up, but in the King James it has the word desire. Okay? What would that word, what, what's another word we could use for that? You got to ask. <laughs> it's right there, right? Now what we ask for is key. There's some qualifiers. Let's go to James chapter 4 for a moment. James chapter 4, verse 3. James 4.3. It's important what we ask for. We've been talking about praying in God's will. James chapter 4, verse 3. This is something that you could pray for. James 4.3. You ask and receive not. Oh, now wait a minute. That's not what we're talking about here. He says you have to ask and you receive it. Oh, this is going to be a good one. We're going to learn stuff here. Uh, chapter 3, verse 4, of, chapter 4 of James says this. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lusts." Oh, bummer. In other words, you're asking for stuff that you just want to fulfill your own desires. Oh, oh, you mean that doesn't work? I can't pray for a new car? You can pray for a new car in God's will if you think I need one, God, right? Now, you may think you need one, do you see the difference? <laughs> That's a qualifier. That's a qualifier. It must be in God's will. Let's take a look at another one. Let's go to Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Talk about the perfect example. Now, if, now again, as you're turning, or don't read it, but as you're turning to Mark chapter 14, verse 36, just stop there for a moment. Now, let's, we're on the road to, to the cross. Jesus is there. He's having this prayer moment because, guys, listen, quite honestly, I'm not going to be with you very much longer. And where you've just been able to reach over and say, hey, 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 buddy, Jesus, rabbi, master, Lord, leader, whatever you want to call him. And they had the right respect for him. They were all there. He said, you know, we're, uh, it's kind of scary out here right now. This sea is just going nuts. What, what, what can you do about it? That's what they did. And he said, you know what? That's going to end. I'm going to be going. You're going to have to learn to pray effectively. You're going to have to remember what I've done in the past. Think of the disciples. What, what was their strength? The fact of remembering what Jesus had done the previous three years. They got to know him. They got to see him. They got to see him heal. They got to see him a power over demons. And, you know, I'm to you're going to have to trust God. Literally trust God with faith. Asking. What would you as Jesus be asking, potentially? Now, Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer. A lot of time. Amazing amount of time. He's about 72 hours from being on a cross what would you ask if you were jesus knowing that crosses there's not this isn't something that, i wonder what's going to happen it looks a little tenuous out there those religious leaders are really ticked off at me i wonder what's going to happen no he made them really ticked off at him because he set up this coronation so that he was king and they knew by that friday jesus had to be on a cross and jesus had to expedite that cuz they wanted to wait remember you read the scripture it said they were going to take him after the passover Jesus said, oh, boy, that's not fast enough. Okay, I'm going to be king, and then you guys will take me on quicker. That's really what happened. What would you pray if you were Jesus? I would kind of want to get out of this deal. Is there another way? <laughs> Have you done it when you're in suffering? God, if there, you know, th- there's got to be another way. i <laughs> just as soon try another way. This one is not getting it done right. I, I don't want my chopper broke down all the time. <laughs> right? Just watch this, Chop, uh, Chopper, Chopper 14. No, it's, it's not Chopper 14, it's, it's Mark chapter 14. Let's look at verse 36. Verse 32, I'll start us up, right? It says, and they came to a place which was called, named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, sit you here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. He saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death, tarry you here and watch, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass. What is he saying? Uh, I just as soon not do this. <laughs> I would just as soon take a pass on this. Let's, let's do it another way. How would you be? Crucifixion doesn't let me just write, it'll be okay. We'll get through it. No, you won't. <laughs> but watch this. Abba, Father, verse 36, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. That is the perfect prayer, effective, powerful prayer. Do you know what happened because he went through and did it that way? You and I, all of you here, anybody hearing my voice can trust Christ and be saved. If he had not went through with what God's will was, as painful, as Problematic as that was to his physical life, that's what made it work for us today. Those times and moments of your suffering, the times and moments that you're going through <clears throat> very difficult stuff, God is using for someone somewhere, including yourself, because it will make you more thankful, more humble, and more meek. I'm not saying it's fun. I didn't, you, did you notice, I didn't describe any of that as being fun, but it's needful. Brethren, encounter all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations. Because it works with the patients, isn't that exactly what happens? There's one left. There's one left. Now there's an, actually an asking, and then there's and the, the, by the way, this is all this is all biblical as well. There's some that just um, you know they just ask the world, and it probably would fall under James chapter four verse three, is kind of heaping it on their own lusts and you asking, you're not receiving. You're, well, I prayed in Jesus' name. Because Jesus said earlier, pray in my name and you'll have whatever you asked, right? Isn't it amazing how that's that little capstone, just pfft, you know, uh, you know, I just as soon have a million dollars in my account, I would like to have, you know, a wife, I would like to have you just name this whole package, right? And then at the end, in Jesus' name. How did I doesn't this Sound authentic, right? And it doesn't happen. And you're like bummed out. Well, what's God saying? I mean, I can't trust him. It's not how it works. In other words, when you say in Jesus, by the way, that's biblical. Absolutely. I want to end my prayers in Jesus' name. But you know what it does when I say in Jesus' name? That means that I've made it consistent with what Jesus' name would be about everything in the prayer. I'm asking things that he could say, yes, that's what I want in your life. Yes, I can pray that in Jesus' name. Isn't that what it's about? It's not to just keep this stuff under our lust and just at the end you have this, in Jesus' name. No. In his, in his character. Excuse me? In his character. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's a good word to use. Everything that we're, and see, the more we pray, the more convincing uh, in our own mind, that's not the right word, the clearer it, there we go, the clearer it becomes that we are literally trying to get aligned with God's will. That's why I pray. That's why one of the things I've said to someone that really is holding a grudge, we're going to talk about it in just a second because there's one more, there's one more word you have to have here. We're, just just for, for a second. One of the things that really literally can hold one's prayer up, we're going to move right into it, is having a grudge. I've had a man that sat right here in this place and he came to said, Larry, I have to talk to you. And he unfolded this, what was done very, very, I mean, it was, it was, it was grossly uh, what had been done to him in the sense of it was, it was a business deal and he was taken to the cleaners. And again, I'm hearing it from his side, but that's okay. Let's just say it's all true. I'm not saying it's not, right? And he gets down to the end, it's just, he, just, just he's ruined my life. okay. I didn't say what's there. Now, I had a guy tell me when I was going through some really serious stuff. Our family in Paradise Valley was going through some really difficult stuff. And I remember sitting across the desk from him, and he was really close, personal friends with Warren Wiersbe. You guys all know Warren Wiersbe. This man that was our pastor in Paradise Valley, I was so, I was so good to sit under his teaching. And I remember him sitting under, and he, he knew the situation. He said, Larry, he said, tough times. They'll either make you bitter, or they'll make you better and it's your choice. That's some of the soundest advice that I've ever received. Now, that man, right, I didn't say that to him because he was no frame of mind to hear that. But he revealed that he just he's, he's explosive. And we talked a little bit more, you know, and just kind of settles down. I said, now, here's, if you, do you really want to, what right now is happening is that man that you just described owns you. Every waking moment, he owns you. Do you want that to stop? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all over it, right? I said, get ready. This is what we need to do. We need to pray for that man. Oh, he couldn't do it. it just, he just lost it. In fact, he went out of here. Now, he wasn't mad at me. I don't know. Well, he kind of was maybe because I suggested it, but he couldn't do that. It was too much for him to be able to be vulnerable enough to put that man that had, is ruining his life every minute of every day because he's thinking about it constantly, to put him in God's care, to have God take care of it. bottom line is, the last word we're going to put up here is forgive. Forgive. It's this simple. You can either harbor a grudge or you can have your prayers answered. If you're going to hold a grudge, if you're going to hold something against someone, your prayers will not be answered. Let's watch what Jesus says. All part of this deal on prayer. Oh, yeah, we're done in Mark 14, aren't we? Yeah, I think we were. Go back to Mark chapter 11, and let's take a look. And when you stand praying, that's interesting. That's, a, that's most of the time in the scripture you find that praying standing. Forgive if you have ought against any that your Father also, in, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Something and by the way, sin in your own life is something needs to be cleaned up. First John chapter 1 verse 9. He is faithful to forgive those if you're willing to confess your sins. Isn't that fantastic? Now we're not talking about getting salvation. This isn't talking about salvation. Be be careful of that. This is not, oh, if I don't forgive my, I can't ever be saved. I'm, I'm going to go to hell. No, 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 no. This is far beyond that. Remember when Jesus was washing feet at the night? We're going to find that in a couple of more weeks. He's washing, and, and, and Peter is just so astounded by this, right? Because they're fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. No, it's me. No, it's you. No, it's me, right? And, and Jesus walks up, and he starts, you know, he's, the best way to solve this problem, he's going to be the model of models. He walks over, he's got this wash basin. It would have been some servant normally there. He strips down his waist, and he walks over, and he starts washing feet Peter's watching it. Yeah, I bet it got real quiet in that room real quick, right? Woo, this is. No, you're not going to wash my feet. You're the master. And he said, well, if you're not going to let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. Oh, then give me a bath, right? It's, that's Peter. He's just jumping all over. You know what? And he said, no, 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 no. You don't need a bath. You just need to have the dust off your feet. See, that's, we're not talking about salvation kind of sin. We're talking about that dusty sin that as you're walking through life. For me this week, there was stuff I need to confess. One of it is, is my lack of faith. And, and just I would just, just say ordinary stuff. I, God help me. Help my unbelief. I'm back to that guy, right? That's what he's talking about. Those things. Or if you're holding a grudge against somebody, your prayer life will be vacant. Vacant. I still pray for that man that walked out of here. I hope that he was able to somehow come to a conclusion and say, I need to pray for that man because that's the only way for me to be healed. It's the only way for me to return back to life. And it's for you. If there's someone in this room that is holding a grudge against someone, I will guarantee you they are stealing. They, that person, our persons, are stealing your life. And you know what? It even says this in Ephesians chapter 4, that bitterness, prolonged anger is that beachhead. That's the word that I use. That's Satan to be on. And he gets in your heart. He gets in your territory. He will surround himself with bitterness, and he literally will just destroy any effectiveness you have in witnessing or your life. Forgive. These five words, and maybe there's more, but there isn't any less. Jesus is teaching that to these disciples because he's going to be gone. Now, did they catch the message? I mean, I'm I'm going late here, so I'm going to speed it up. And you say, you can't speed it up. Well, I always want to know: Did the disciples get it? Did they get this lesson? It seems like it just goes poof right over their head, right? Just like me. You know, I've, how long have I been? How long have I been teaching? A long time. And I'm just going back through this week, and I showed so little faith. I did. I really did. I'm just being honest. And you can say, well, you're maybe more than me. It doesn't matter. For me, I should be growing more than I think I am. But I'm honest, right? That's that's a good place to be. How about the disciples? I mean, it's a, you know, like for I mean, they're always arguing who's number one, right? Who's number one? Who's I must have had T-shirts. John, I'm number one, right? Peter, I'm, no, I'm number one. You know, it's just. And you know what it said? Oh, coming back to that tender, that dollar bill, which I don't know what to did with it. The United States of America. It was not the United Disciples of Jesus either, was it? There was this bickering churches today. it's not the United Church of Jesus Christ. Why? Is it Jesus? No, it's us. It's our fault because self is ruling and reigning within churches today too. There's a lot of selfs. Self, 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 self. So the disciples get this message on prayer? I'm glad to say this one here they got. How can we prove it? Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1. <clears throat> You remember, oh, just perfect. Just hold your yeah, you're going to Acts one. You're you're good. You you I want to I want you to think of a man, and he was described as full of the Holy Spirit. He's actually in Acts as well. Now your mind is starting to get there, right? He was treated as violently and despicably as any person could be, and he said something at the very end of his life. Lay not this charge to their account. That man's name was Stephen. Now, that's, that's getting it right. In fact, he looked up and he saw where he was going. That was a man full of the Holy Spirit. You want to be full of the Holy Spirit? You want to have nothing? Get rid of bitterness. Be forget, forgiving. Forgiving. Okay, I told you to go to Acts chapter 1. Let's go there for a second. I'm going to get there in a moment. Acts chapter 1. And let's take a look at verse 9. Let's we'll start there in verse 9. How come it's taken me so long to get there? Thanks for your patience. I'm in Acts 2. There we go. 1, just about. Let's start back in verse 6, though. Verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Now, you know what's taken place, right? Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. He's rose again. He's appeared to the disciples. They've seen him on a number of occasions. In verse 6, it says, that when they were therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? you've died, you've been buried, you've rose again. Is this the time for the kingdom? (laughs) Doesn't this sound good? I'd be right there with him. Yeah, let's go. And he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you back to you by the way, shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in a white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now it's starting to hit home, right? Whoa, that's it. We're not going to have Jesus here anymore. What are they going to do? What are you going to do? Now, you know what happened after his crucifixion? Remember those disciples on the way to Emmaus? Pfft, you know, they're gone. They split. Jesus is gone. They're coming for us next. That would be probably logical thinking, right? And then Jesus just pops in for you know that little neighborhood walking down. What are you guys doing? Haven't you heard? I mean, you didn't hear about what happened to Jesus? What? This is Jesus. Oh, well, you know, it just... So then he takes the scriptures and he starts unfolding. He said, "Well, what does this mean? And you see how this fits together? Unbelievable!" And then they go sit down to eat. And I'm sure when he gave thanks and he opened up his hands, the nail prints spoke for themselves, and they saw him for who he was. What were those moments like? But now he's gone. They can. They, this is it. This is it. What are you going to do now? You're going to be depressed. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to leave. What are you, you going to do? Go back to what you were, fishermen, fishermen, right? Let's watch. Now remember what we just learned today. Now. Verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealots and Judas the brother of James. Watch now. These all continued with one accord in... Jesus leaves and literally the same day they are doing what he has just taught them to do three days previous. And guess what happened? What did we say? Uh, prayer precedes power. Do you know what happened? Pentecost took place. The Holy Spirit literally lighted on these disciples. Literally, the place was thrown upside down with souls for Jesus Christ. How did it start? Well, you could say Jesus left. But what happened? They prayed. And they prayed steadfastly. They prayed in one accord, united. And guess what happened? Power took that place. They got it. Will we get it? Are we ready to pray like that? Are we ready to remember who God is and was and always has been? Are we willing to trust God in every case? I, I'm going to probably use that dollar bill. I'm going to carry it in my pocket. And when I'm really feeling bummed out, I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to say, and who do I trust? In God I trust. not that good? Mm-hmm. See, our founding fathers were brilliant. Yeah. They were brilliant. Would you? Could you think of anything better to put on the back of your money? And today the reason our money is worth nothing is because we failed to trust in God. It's not in your faith. Strength is not in your faith. Not faith in faith. I've, I've often told you. I remember that day like I'll never forget it. He's passed away. But he had cancer, and he said, Larry, I just have to have faith. I kept pressing. Faith in what? Faith in who? Well, I just, and, and he, he, it wasn't that he was against God. I don't know where his life was with God. We never really got, you, you know, he couldn't quite get there. I just have to have faith. So in other words, the strength is the power of faith in faith. No, no, no. The power is God. Faith in God. you got to ask you're gonna ask? Make sure the qualifiers. And then, this is really a key component. It's a lot of stuff. People get it right to here, and there's something in their life. There's something in their life that's holding them back. In fact, uh, husbands and wives, it talks about this in, in uh, uh, is that in Peter, First Peter chapter three. Somebody help me. Um, where husbands, don't expect your prayers to be answered if you're not, if you're not treating your wife properly. This, that's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Okay, a lot of stuff, right? Isn't that amazing how the the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple and all of this stuff just fits together, and and Jesus uses a perfect teaching moment to literally, literally change your life the moment, the day he leaves them, they are ready to engage fervent, essential, active, powerful, energetic prayer. They got it. Questions or comments? (laughs) (laughs) We need Jesus. America needs Jesus. Families need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And you know what? We're part of that when we can pray like that. See, really literally, moving a mountain into the sea is small potatoes, considering our world that doesn't know Jesus. If we need to be effective, if there's ever a time for us to pray fervently, aggressively, effectively, essentially, It's right now. And you know what? You are here. I say this almost every single Sunday. You're here right now, this time. What is the date? July 10th. Is it the 10th already? Oh, my goodness, right? Just remember, July 10th, 2022. You aren't here by accident. You haven't missed your calling. You're not early. You're not late. You're here right now because God wants to use you this moment going forward. That's graciousness. That's mercy. That's love personified. And Jesus Christ accomplished it all in Calvary's tree. Let's pray. Father God, so many things we looked at today. So just To just think and contemplate all that Jesus accomplished. And taking these moments which seemed disconnected and yet they were perfectly connected. When those disciples were marveling at what happened to a fig tree. He said, you've really seen nothing yet powerful prayer can be yours when you remember when you trust God exclusively when you actively engage in faith and it's not large faith it's not perfect faith which even makes me feel better on my course that it can be a little faith as I continue to pray it grows and it grows and father to ask not amiss but to ask in your will that we can pray in the character of Jesus Christ, claiming his name over what we're praying. And Father, forgive us for those sins that are plaguing us and keeping us out of fellowship, as you're so clear in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And if there's anything that any one of us has against someone, or they have against us, Father, that we would clear that way. That avenue would open up so we would not be owned not controlled, but we would be yours. That's what prayer is, is being completely yielded to you. It's our lifeline. Father, it will be your strength, it will be your power that will move us through this week. All of these gathered here today, literally, Father, the journey they find themselves on when we're focused on you, when we remember you, we're here for you. You will accomplish magnificent things. Mountains will be moved when we look to you. Remind us, Father, of yourself every moment. Take us and use us as you see fit. We'll ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious and holy and magnificent name. Amen.